Well, now that we got the awkwardness behind us, if you want to open to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. For those on the live stream, so sorry about that. Joe took the morning off and uh, everything fell apart. So that's where we are with that. Romans chapter 1, we're in this series that we've called The Genius of Jesus. And I'm going to explain more of that here in just a second. But just looking at the gospel through the lens of the book of Romans. And so if you'll do me a favor and do me the honor of standing, um, in honor of reading God's word, we do that every Sunday at Living Hope. And we're going to start down in verse 24. Verse 24, Paul starts with these words. He says, Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Y'all pray for me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And God, even when we encounter what can be difficult passages to teach, Lord, we know that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. And we know it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, Lord, so that we may be equipped and complete to everything that you've called us to. And so, God, may we approach this passage from a posture of humility this morning. God, a posture of wanting to learn from you. God, seeing sin for what it is, but also seeing the hope that we have in Jesus. And so, God, would you teach us from your word today? Give us open ears to hear from you. God, would you give us soft hearts, not only to hear, Lord, but to receive, and then obedient and willing hands and feet to live this out as we go about our days. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've covered a lot of ground these last six weeks in Romans, and so what I want to do quickly, we're going to take a few minutes here, um, I want to catch us up and get us up on the same page, because I think we need to remember where we've been so we understand where we're going in this passage. Um, if you look in the scriptures there at verse 24, there's a key word and there's a reason that I want to do this, and it's the word, therefore. You've probably heard that Bible study method before. When you see the word, therefore, you always ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore, and so we need to really look back now on the last 23 verses and find out and understand what's the therefore, therefore. So let's do a little review as to where Paul's taken us so far. We've said that this letter to the Romans, the book of Romans, is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, a church that he didn't start, to a people that he, majority of which, did not know. And Paul's writing them this letter with a singular purpose. He wants to give them an extensive understanding of the gospel. The gospel that was delivered to Paul in Acts chapter 9 and that now Paul was preaching among the Gentiles. And so what Paul does in this letter, the first 11 chapters, are a very detailed explanation of the gospel. And then the last five chapters that we're going to get to in several, several weeks from now, Paul gives a practical understanding of the gospel. So chapters 1 through 11, Paul says, here's what the gospel is. Chapters 12 through 16, here's how the gospel collides with your everyday life. But we spent the last six weeks in chapter 1 
of Romans chapter 1. And if you want to walk through these with me real quick, let me just review where we've been here. 23 verses in six weeks, right? Slow and steady has been winning the race. But chapter 1 so far, verses 1 through 7, is just Paul's introduction. He's letting these people know who he is and the gospel that he's going to expound on in the letter. Then you jump down to verse 8, all the way through verse 15. Paul starts to encourage this church in Rome. Remember, he hadn't been there before. But he's encouraging them to remain faithful to Jesus. And then he ends in down verses 14 and 15 of his desire to come and visit them soon. But then Pastor Joe preached a few weeks ago on verses 16 and 17 where Paul kind of gives that introduction to the gospel finally in verses 16 and 17 where he tells them, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And I love that and I love what Joe reminded us. Is he said, look, my confidence is not in myself, Paul says. He's going to give this extensive, extensive explanation of the gospel. And he says, it's not about me. Paul says, everything that I'm going to say to you is because of my confidence in Jesus. And then a few weeks ago, we started working through Paul's explanation of the gospel. But he starts with mankind's sin and God's wrath against sinners. And it's heavy. And these last couple of weeks have, have been heavy. But why do we start there? Why do we start with this portion of understanding the gospel? And we said this, that for good news to have its full effect, we have to understand the bad news first. We have to understand the bad news of our sin in God's wrath for us to fully understand the good news of the gospel. Paul said in verse 18 a couple weeks ago when we looked at it, that the Gentile world there in Rome, but also what we see in our culture today, has intentionally suppressed the truth of God's word. We said that means that people either attempt to destroy, to distort, or to deny the validity of God's word. And although God, in verse 20 of Romans chapter 1, makes himself known to his creation, and he beckons us to cry out to him. I mean, we see God everywhere in everything, and he's calling out to us, what do we do? Rather than run to God, this is humanity's sin problem, our natural inclination is to instead run from God. It's the sinful heart condition of you and of me. See, God deserves our glory and God deserves our gratitude, verse 21. But rather than give him glory and gratitude, what do humans do? I do it and you do it too. We run away from him and we run to self-worship. And we were reminded last week that you and I, we weren't created to live apart from our creator. That God, was crea God created us to, to live inside of us and to be in fellowship with you and me. But the, the human condition is we, we separate ourselves from God. And as a result, we saw in verse 21 that our thinking becomes worthless and we view things that are foolish as wise. I don't want to beat the dead horse, but what did that mean last week? It means we start to justify our sinful condition as okay. That what we're doing is fine and we're calling evil good. And just as this was playing out in the Roman culture, if you've studied history, you know this to be true. We see this in our culture as well, just as many other cultures see, justifying evil actions and calling them good. And being stuck in this condition is where we left off last week, but Paul continues to take us further into a deep plunge of our sin problem. As we move further and further of the Creator, again, why are we talking through this stuff? Because to under the, understand the good news of the gospel, we have to understand the bad news first. And so verse 23 last week, we, we left off completely separated from God, worshiping anything and everything but him. 
We said the Romans specifically were worshiping um, these idols that they had created. In our culture, we often worship ourselves instead. We run to this idolatrous condition, separated from God. So what's next, starting in verse 24? We have this void in our heart that has to be filled. There's a vacuum inside of us that Paul talked about, I believe, in verse 23 when we looked at it last week. And so there's this vacuum inside of you and me if, if we've rejected the creator and we're apart from God and every vacuum must be filled. Augustine said there's a God-shaped hole in, in every human's heart that must be filled by something, but it can only be fully filled by God himself. And so we're left with this void and Paul says when there's a void in your heart that God is not filling, that the human condition causes us to run to two things, idolatry and immorality idolatry and immorality. And the first, let's just walk through these two points quickly this morning. Paul says that a heart apart from God becomes consumed with idolatry. Consumed with idolatry. We saw this start to play out in verse 23, but it goes further. Two points today. I'd encourage you to write these down if you're a note taker. The first one is become consumed with idolatry. What is idolatry? Let me give you a basic, basic understanding. It's giving of worship to something that isn't God. Idolatry is the giving over of worship to something that isn't God. Your heart wants to worship something. And when we choose not to worship God, that is idolatry. What does Paul say in verse 25? Look at the the, the passage there in Romans 1. It says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served that which had been created instead of their creator who is to be praised forever. Amen. I mean, verse 20, we saw it. God has not hidden himself from us. But verse 18, we suppress that truth and we suppress the knowledge of God and act like there isn't a God. And David talks about this in Psalm 14, that when humans try to live apart from their creator and function apart from the knowledge of God, it it leads to destruction. Psalm 14, verse 1 says this, that a fool says in his heart, there is no God. I mean, that's the human condition when we, we reject our creator, which every human has done. Then what? Paul say, or David says that they are corrupt. And because we've rejected God, what do we do? They do vile deeds. I mean, this played out in Romans 1 that we've seen thus far. Apart from God, what do our hearts get? Darker and darker, verse 21. How does our thinking get? More depraved and more depraved, verse 21. How does our life turn out? More foolish and more foolish, verse 23. And we worship anything. Your heart wants to worship something. But if it's not directed at God, Paul reminds us here, that is idolatry. Rather than worshiping our creator, we worship something else. And based on the context of Romans chapter 1, here's what's fascinating to me. We worship ourselves most of the time. When we reject worshiping our creator who deserves our gratitude and who deserves our worship, we don't often like the Romans just run to these idols and these little things that we're worshiping. No, no, no. Paul gives us some context here, starting in verse 24, that we begin to worship ourselves. Worshiping the created rather than our creator, as we saw in verse 25. And our idolatry takes a very specific turn, Paul says, of you go from worship of your creator to worship of yourself. And we're going to see how this plays out in just a second. And here's what's so scary about this. And this is how we get from idolatry all the way down to immorality, is idolatry, self-worship, idolatry of ourselves, Paul reminds us, more often than not, leads to sexual immorality. When you become consumed with your own self-gratification, 
and yourself, it will the majority of the time lead to sexual immorality. And not one, Paul says in this passage, as we'll see, that is casual, but one that is consuming. It consumes every part of your identity. You know why? Because what you worship identifies you. The very thing that you and I choose to worship will claim our identity. And if we choose to worship ourselves, that's gonna lead to sexual immorality, Paul says, and then that will absolutely consume your identity. Here's point number two. Let's walk through this. It's a slippery slope. Paul says, not only are we consumed with idolatry, but we're consumed with immorality. We're consumed with immorality. So right out of the gate, verse 24, Paul says that this godless person, not only a godless person, but a godless society, one consumed with sin, verse 24, is then delivered over, Paul says, to the desires of their hearts. Right, These hearts that are separated from God, that desire the exact opposite thing of what God desires for their life. And God turns people over to those hearts. I wanna tune in on a couple things here that I don't want us to miss. First, for God to turn you over to the desire of your hearts is one of the worst possible judgments for sin that you could ever encounter. For God to fully turn an individual or a society over to the desires of their hearts is one of the worst possible judgments that we could ever have for our sin. I mean, it's literally God saying, okay, fine, I'll back off. And, and you just let the evil desires of your sinful heart play out. And it's only gonna result in our self-destruction. Self-worship always results in self-destruction. I mean, in verses 24 through 28, Paul uses that phrase, delivered over, delivered over, delivered over, three, three different times. Like, this is serious. Let me give you an illustration here, a little, little more lighthearted. Um, think about if you're a parent in here who's ever had a child, or maybe this was you, that wanted to touch the hot burner on the stove. We've all been that kid or we have that kid. After church, we're gonna check your hands to be sure, see if that's you, all right? We've all had that kid before, we were that kid. And what do you do if you're a good parent? Initially, when your child goes to touch the stove, this is the beginning of Romans one, and you, you warn them and you tell them like, don't touch that, that's hot. If you touch that, you're gonna get burnt, you're gonna get blisters. You need to leave the stove alone, that's, that's gonna burn you. Yet what do we do as kids? At six, obviously I knew more than my 37-year-old mom and dad, right? We all know that to be true. I know more than my parents at six years old. And so I don't believe what they're telling me. Although my parents brought me into the world, although my parents took care of me, although my parents had lived the life that I'm now living, I know better than they do about the hot stove. And so what do you have to do as a parent? Sometimes, despite repeated warnings, and sometimes if your child just refuses to listen to what you say, Sometimes you have to just turn your child over to their sinful actions and let them experience the consequence of their own decisions. And that's one of the hardest things that you can do as a parent, isn't it? And it's one of the worst things that you can allow your child to do to themselves because you know the destruction that will be brought upon them if they engage in a certain action. But you just turn them over to it sometimes. And we step back knowing that their decisions will lead to their pain. That's these verses. And Paul tells us here in, in verse 24 and 26 and 27, he says that the human heart, when we fully reject God, this is the sinful condition of mankind, that we run. We don't waltz over to, we don't skip, no, no, no. We run to sexual immorality and sexual impurity. I mean, when we disregard God, that's where we, we run to. 
And, and, and again, we see this in Rome, and you always see this in our culture today. We live in a society that has chosen in many capacities, not all, praise God, but in many capacities to just reject our creator. Maybe we've been guilty of this or someone we love has at some point in our life. But when you reject God, you become consumed with idolatry that leads to sexual immorality. And my goodness, I'm not trying to be crude, but don't we see this happening where we live today? Everything we turn on, the news and the radio and our social media, all it is about is human sexuality. The Bible's not lying. We're just seeing the words of God take place, that when we reject and suppress the truth of our creator, that we will become a people in a society consumed with sexual immorality and against what the word of God says. It's tragic, but we see it. And it's playing out before our very eyes. But why does it happen? It's because of that self-worship. I've taken the worship that my creator deserved that we saw last week. He deserves my glory and gratitude. And I've taken that and I've turned it back on myself. And I've said, God, I'm going to shake my fist at you. And I'm going to worship myself instead. And when we become consumed with ourselves, the natural result, and we see this playing out starting in verse 26, is self-gratification. We have to gratify our own physical bodies. And here's why. And I read this this week, and I thought this was so helpful. It's that apart from God, we do not see our bodies as something to be valued, but something to be gratified. When you separate the human body from God, it is no longer something that we see of value. Now, we may try to package it that way. We may try to package it as loving myself and all of, all of these things, giving this false facade that we do value human life. But at its root, that is not true. Apart from God, we don't care about any of that. We don't value the human body. Rather, we see it as something to be gratified, something to be satisfied, something to be indulged, and something to be pleasured. But with God, we see the human body as something to actually be valued. There's a difference. Because when we attach ourselves to our creator, we finally see value and worth. That a, 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 the, the greatest being in all of the universe loves me and he cares about me. Therefore, I am valuable. I'm not just a clump of cells that lives for 75 years and then ceases to exist. When you view the body that way, then yeah, obviously you want it to simply be gratified. But when you view yourself as something that is loved and cherished by the creator of the universe... You see yourself as someone to be valued. We see it in Rome. We see it in our culture, consumed with immorality. Paul says in verse 24, the second half, that as a result, their bodies were degraded among themselves. It means they're dishonoring this gift that God had given them because they were consumed with their own self-gratification. What was present in the heart now manifested in their body. Again, we're seeing this all around us. So what's the root issue? This was helpful for me this week. The root issue of the sexual ethics that we're battling in our culture, friends, we just need to be aware of this stuff. This isn't fun to preach, by the way, but we need to be aware of these things. Do you know the root issue of the sexual ethic in our culture is an issue of worship? We got to get people to worship God again and to worship Jesus for who he is as the rightful Lord of the universe and Savior of the world. Rather than people consumed with worshiping themselves, and we need to be consumed with worshiping Jesus. That's the solution to this problem. 
The solution is not going to come by electing the right individual to the White House. The solution is not going to come by, by us hooting, hollering, and screaming at school board meetings. Should we, should we make right decision and wise decisions in all of those capacities? Yes. But the solution is Jesus. The solution to this issue that we see is Jesus because we need to resolve the problem of worship in the heart of humans. When we worship God properly, it rids us of all of these things. That's Paul's main message here. Who or what will receive my worship? And if God doesn't get it, then something else will. And if I worship myself, then it's all going to be about sexuality and sexual immorality. But verse 26 and 27, Paul gives us a specific example. A specific example. He says, what I believe, friends, is probably one of the most perverse examples of sexual morality in our culture because it's a literal direct opposition of what God designed human um, interaction to look like. And it's the issue of homosexuality. And again, this is not fun to preach, but if the Bible says it, we've got to talk about it. That's one of the, the hard parts as a pastor when we make the decision to preach through verses of like just books of the Bible is we don't get to hide from this stuff. And so like, I, I'm going to be totally honest with you. When Pastor Joe suggested a year ago that we go through the book of Romans, I knew this passage was coming up. And I just don't look forward to talking about it. It's not fun. This has affected my family personally. It's not fun. It's tore my family apart. It's terrible. I hate it. It makes me sick to my stomach. We even have to deal with it. But he talks about it here. Homosexuality in the Roman Empire practiced for several hundred years. You can study history of some of just the perverse things that, that the Romans would do engaging in this kind of, of human interaction. It was common and it was celebrated. In our culture, it's being practiced, it's being celebrated. You know, homosexuality is put on display, it's, it's bannered everywhere. You have to cheer for it or you're in opposition to it. But in both cultures, we just need to understand, based on the authority of the scriptures here, starting in verse 26, all the way through verse 27, what does it say? That it's a direct opposition to what God intended human sexuality to look like. It's a direct opposition to God's natural creative order. It's us rejecting our creator, and it's sin. It's wrong, and God hates it, and it's evil. And Paul says, apart from God, buried in our sin, we, we run to sexual immorality, specifically the one example he uses, Paul could have used a variety of examples here, by the way, but he chose to use homosexuality, this unnatural relationship between the same genders. Look at what he says in verse 26. So he starts with the women first. He says they're running from natural relations with men to unnatural relations with women. This is an interesting passage here because, again, it shows us it's the direct opposition of God's creative plan. Let me show this to you, Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 27. And we see God's purpose and plan here for human sexuality right in the beginning. It says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. And then he created them male and female. Adam from the dust, Eve from the rib of Adam. That's the two human genders that God made. Male and female, God's creative order. It's natural. Then verse 28, God blessed them and he said to them, simple phrase, three words, be fruitful and multiply. That's natural human sexual relationship between a man and a woman. Yet what do we see in Romans 1? Total disregard for that plan and God's authority. Why? Because humans apart from God are not concerned about worship of God, but self-worship, which leads to self-gratification. 
Paul says in verse 27 of this passage, we're almost done. I know this is an exhausting passage to walk through. He says, men, we're doing the same thing, leaving natural relations with women. And then that phrase, look at that in verse 27. I want you to underline that in your Bible. It says that they were inflamed with lust. That's a very, very scary word there. Meaning that they had left God's natural order and because of their self-gratification, self-worship and idolatry, they were burning with desire for other men. And not only desiring it, this is what's so wild about this verse. You look at the second part of verse 27. They were inflamed in lust for one another and then men committed shameless acts. Meaning that it made its way from their heart to their hands. It became something that they were feeling to something that they did. That's what sin does. It it consumes. It goes from here to here to here. It's a progression that we deal with. Self-gratification, self-worship. And Paul says in verse 26, this isn't Aaron speaking, this is what God God says. He says that they're disgraceful passions. Your Bible might say that they're, they're vile. That word in the Greek actually means that these things are dehumanizing. Why? Because they place zero value on the human body. It's all about self-gratification. Whatever makes me feel good in the moment is what I must do. But it causes us, self-worship causes us not to value life, but to devalue it. Not to value human dignity, but to devalue it. And Paul says in verse 27, and I'm not going to get into this much here. He says that when we step outside of God's creative order in any capacity, but specifically in the sexual capacity here, he says there's penalties for our sinful actions. Look at verse 27. Each received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. It's God turning us over to our own self-destruction. And as a result, there will be things that the human body now must endure and deal with because of the decisions that we chose to make in our self-worship and self-gratification. No matter how much it's touted around us, y'all, just understand this truth. Um, Self-worship is not freeing. It's destructive. It's destructive. I've used this silly illustration before about my, my two sweet girls. We live on the corner of a street in our neighborhood. Good amount of cars that pass on a regular basis. What's more freeing for my children to say, hey, baby, I love you guys. I want you to stay on this side of the sidewalk near the house. Everything in here, you can can play, you can run, you can jump. Just stay on this side of the sidewalk. Because if you cross over to this side of the sidewalk, there's a very real chance that a car could possibly hit you and hurt you pretty bad. Which is more freeing? For my children to enjoy the total freedom of the area that I've given them for their protection or for them to say, my dad's keeping something from me. I'm going to go do my own thing. I don't care about the boundary of the sidewalk. I'm going to go. What's going to happen to them? Their destruction. Which is more freeing? Self-worship does not lead to freedom. It leads to destruction. Self-worship always carries with it a penalty. Self-worship never will satisfy you. It will never satisfy you because when a person or a culture completely rejects God, what did Paul say? We run to idolatry, which will naturally lead to, because of the self-worship and self-gratification, will naturally lead to sexual immorality. Now 
here's what's terrible about this message. That's where we're going to stop. And here's why. I want us to feel the weight of this this morning. We need to feel the weight of the sin condition that our, our friends are in, that our neighbors are stuck in, that we were in at one time. We need to, we need to feel the weight of this. I, I've been too guilty of pointing fingers at people and not seeing people as lost in, in destructive behaviors and their desperate need for the Savior named Jesus. I don't want to just point fingers. I want to offer hope. And I hate this passage of the Bible. I read Charles Spurgeon this week. Charles Spurgeon said um, he actually wouldn't ever even preach this passage of Scripture because it was so vile and tough to walk through. This is heavy. But I want us to feel the weight of that, but I also want to remind us that there's hope in Jesus. Isn't that good news? We've ended every week of this with the hope of the gospel. Because as many of us know, and I've heard so many of your stories, we know that the Spirit of God can do a pretty incredible work in the sinful heart of a human. That the Spirit of God can take that which is dark and bring light to it again. That the Spirit of God can take that which is dirty and completely cleanse it. And that if it wasn't for the saving work of Jesus in my life, we'd probably be stuck in the exact same condition. It's only because of the grace of Jesus that I am who I am. It's all about him. And I'd be just like anybody else among the ranks, rejecting my creator, worshiping myself. But because of Jesus, I can now be counted as a child of God. Let's not forget that. May we be a people that's not always just pointing fingers, but may we be like Jesus, that when people are destitute and hopeless, burdened and destroyed, that we're willing to get down on our hands and knees with a bucket of water and wash their feet and show them the hope that we've found and the hope that our Jesus can offer anybody and everybody that's willing to turn from their sin and turn to him. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you for your word. And God, I pray that as we, as we sit in the heaviness of this passage, that, Lord, we wouldn't forget the hope that we have in our Creator. God, may we be that people. God, a people that are not always pointing fingers, but a people that choose to offer hope. Because apart from Jesus, we're hopeless. And apart from Jesus, we're stuck in our sin. But because of Jesus, we now have hope and we're called children of God. So Lord, as we pray every week, God, I pray as we sing that our words are a sweet, sweet sound through the, the corridors of heaven. God, as we saw in Romans 1, Lord, you alone deserve our glory and you alone deserve our gratitude. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.